Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hi, Paul. How are you? I am doing well. Back in the wonderful US of A. Did you eat lots of... uh, Pie and chips, fish and chips. I had fish and chips on my last night there because I realized I hadn't had them before. And we were in the Duchess of Kent pub, so I figured, why not? British pub, you got to have fish and chips, right? As long as it wasn't Prince Andrew's pub, you're okay, right? Um, Yeah, I don't think he's Kent. I think he's something else, but yeah. Banner headlines all over there, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Oh, I bet. That would have been an interesting time. They love the Royals. Any news there, and it's it's all about it. The... um, I'm actually leaving for London on Friday um, and to visit my grandmother who, who um, lives in Essex and Canvey Island of all places. It is not glamorous, I will tell you that much. But um, I haven't seen her in three years, so I'm really excited. And I'm actually also secretly excited to stop and get a real bacon sandwich because bacon in America does not exist. Yeah, I what the British call bacon, I really like. So, yeah. yeah I think was it was good. Fabian Williams, who's an MVP um, out of DC that I... I mean, he's a character, so if you've seen him, you'll you know who, if you're listening who it is. And uh, he didn't, he's like, what's all the fuss about? And I was like, look, just be quiet. Come with me here and we'll go get breakfast. And um, it was awesome. I feel like that should be a TV show, just watching people's expressions when they actually eat real bacon. <laughs> I'm sure this is a hugely controversial topic, but I stand by it. Go to London, order a bacon sandwich, and you will not be disappointed. I would agree with that. Yes, indeed. What have you seen out there in the wild this week? Top of my list of news this week is an update to the Windows Community Toolkit. And this is the UWP XAML um, WinForm Win32 Toolkit that um, we talked about with Nicola a while back, his first visit. But there's uh, the PAX team has, has released a new one on this, which works on bringing together the XAML islands and unifying these UI things that was talked about back at Build. And there's some new controls and a preview of some other stuff they're doing, including what looks like a people picker. Right? They have a XAML graph controls. So uh, for those of you who have been following the graph toolkit in the web world, there's something similar coming now to the XAML. And so uh, this, I put a link in here for folks to, to hop on that if you're writing for the any of the new devices, perhaps, the Surface Pro X or Neo that you're planning on doing or anything you want to do with, uh, with the l- older UI native Windows technology. So good stuff to see in there. Yeah, we actually had a meeting with their management yesterday. And one thing that was really cool was Nicola, who kind of started the community toolkit with Michael, Michael Hawker and Nicola Michelev. Nicola now looks after the web toolkit, the Microsoft Graph toolkit, and Michael looks after the Windows Community toolkit. And what's happened with the demand with the web toolkit is we've we've kind of worked out what components are the most popular, the people picker, and we have a Teams picker and a channel picker coming um, in the next few weeks. Now that Nicola's not traveling as much, he was just doing a whirlwind tour of about 25 parts in two weeks in Europe, um, getting feedback on it all. But um, the Windows Community Toolkit is going to do the same alignment. And so whatever you see coming through in the Graph Toolkit, you'll actually see it coming through in the Windows Community Toolkit as well, which is awesome. So it's going to be really exciting to see the the, you know, the community contributing back to these two web and um, Windows 
toolkits and seeing those alignments happening on roadmaps and components over the top, which is great. You know, and that kind of ties into a second thing I noticed that um, Kevin Gallo, a, a previous guest of ours, did a blog post covering those new devices, the, the Neo and the Duo. Neo being the Win 10X device and the Duo being the Android device. Uh, he, he's got a blog post covering the dual screen experience and trying to get people warmed up, including a, if you want to read an email address, if you want to get part of the early adoption phase on this. So the, kind of tying all these pieces together from back from build, uh, they're moving on. So nice little, uh, nice little uh, blog post from Kevin with some pretty pictures about devices that'll make you drool. <laughs> yeah, there's a few walking around campus and they, they are really nice. They had them at Ignite behind glass, I think. Um, they are very, very nice devices. I, I have a Surface Go. Um, I must admit, for, for me, it's a little bit slow, a little bit like the, R, the Surface RT was, personally. just I'm all about just speed, and I think I'm just impatient. But um, the specs of the Duo and the Neo and just peeking at what people are doing on there, like f- for that device mode, it's, I think it's awesome for note-taking and meetings and stuff. I think they've really done a great job of getting that right. Um, but it's interesting because what they're going to do is um, develop a common model layer across Android and Windows so that essentially the APIs will be you know, similar or if not the same on both platforms, um, but obviously tailored to either you're a Windows developer or tailored to I'm an Android developer. So it's going to be super interesting to see what people do with this. I, there's some concept stuff lying around that I've seen that I'm like, yeah, that is really, really cool use of a dual screen that it isn't just gimmicky. And, you know, if you look at the the uh, YouTube video of the demo of this where they're you know, opening up Outlook and the message shows on the right-hand screen and the list of messages shows on the left-hand screen and how you can open documents and have something showing on the, the left and right is is you know really useful i think for people on the go um which i tend to do with a widescreen monitor anyway snapping with the windows key and left and the windows key right so it'll be cool to see how they take that to the next level on this i i would agree i think to me the the key thing is how thick is the device when it's folded closed right i think that to me obviously if i want a widescreen thing i can pull out my laptop or a tablet but having something that will fold to wider when i need it or or skinnier when i don't need it should be interesting. So looking forward to trying those. I feel like with the Duo, there will be a lot of uh, handbags and man bags, people carrying devices. I'm almost getting to that point with mine where I'm, you know, I try and take it out of my pocket as much as I can and put it on a desk or table or, you know, mounted in my car or what have you, rather than keeping my pocket. But I think that Duo is not going to comfortably be in a jeans pocket. I would imagine. Yeah, it'd be interesting. So what about you? What have you come across here from the, the Graph Org? Yeah, it's interesting. We have a group called DevDiv, which works on things like Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code um, and a bunch of other .NET stuff. And the, the, the team's huge and, you know, name dropping some mains, Amanda Silver and Scott Hunter and all those folks kind of live and breathe DevDiv and, and work in this area. And they've started to um, help us with the graph and trying to understand what developers, and it's specifically kind of their community that might not be as engrossed in the graph are doing with the graph. And so um, Xenia in that team is uh, is put a call for 
basically filling out a survey to just give a bit of information about like what you're doing with the graph and what kind of reach you're getting and, and what things are missing. Um, and he'd actually like to schedule Microsoft Teams calls with people to talk deep, more deeper about that. And then what he's going to do is essentially produce a report that says, you know, I went and talked to these people. These are the common things that we're seeing from all the partners and develop enterprise developers building on top of the graph and, you know, a set of asks based on that, that will be kind of executively blessed and then pushed through. So this is yet another way to um, give your feedback. Um, but I think the benefit of this is, is it's kind of outside of the graph team in the sense that it's DevDiv doing this. And although Xenia is ramping up um, and becoming kind of very passionate about the graph, he has enough of a, far enough away from the problem that he will kind of ask feedback in a way that maybe if I asked it would be a bit more bias. And so I'm really excited to see that. So if you haven't already filled out the survey and, you know, if you are willing to spend half an hour just talking to him, I'd really encourage you to set up a call with Zenia and all the information is in that blog post. So a big thank you in advance and it will really, really help us as another another mechanism of understanding how you guys are using the graph. That's just one step closer to being the the one API to rule them all, right? Exactly. The, yes, indeed. Yes. And, and speaking of the API, I came across an interesting article on the uh, Microsoft Developer blog. It's not uh, the Microsoft Graph Developer blog. The Vince Smith from Microsoft, which I'm guessing he's in the identity team, has this blog post discovering how they're going to make a change to how things how the response would look if you don't have access to a, a member resource. And so this this is kind of unique to Azure Active Directory or, or identity. So their example is if before you said, I want to give me group members, and one of the members of the group was a device, and if the caller doesn't have permission to read devices, you would get a 403, which the endpoint he shows here is I want to do slash groups slash ID. And if I get a 403 back, that kind of tells me, well, that group does not, or I'm not allowed to read that group, but I am allowed to read the group. And so there, there, there's a change in the res- response that's coming back in that you will get the group response, but the device, the member of the group, that's this device, won't you won't get information on that. So kind of like a security trim concept for those of us who have been around a SharePoint would understand. And I, I wanted to highlight this not because they're security trimming things, which we'd all expect, but because this is this is something that's going to change in the service that might affect you, and you should be aware of this. So if you're not subscribed to the Microsoft Graph Developer blog, you certainly want to hit the subscribe button on that so you can keep abreast of what's happening because now the Microsoft Graph is... How many workloads or how many teams? 50-some teams, I think, is what Ina said. Fi- yeah, we're saying 50 yeah. now is a fair round number. Yeah, so no one person can keep all that stuff in their head all at once. So certainly the, subscribe to the blog and and uh, get all the information of what's happening. Um, to be fair, I learned that through the blog post because uh, in some cases they'll reach out to us and ask us to review. And sometimes like this one, it just went straight to the blog and someone reviewed it. <laughs> it wasn't me. And uh, I mean, it totally makes sense that, you know, there is this notion of... Yeah, different things relating. That's what we call it, the graph. And so this is just one example of we're trying to improve the scenario that it doesn't 403 um, when it's returning devices as part of a group and would just return a null device object in there. And then the other thing was uh, the Microsoft 365 developer certification, which is in preview. Um, and 
essentially it's part of the MS Learn platform, which Azure kind of launched as their way of delivering uh, modules that you can go take and a certification that you can go do to prove that you, you've learned everything through all the training modules. We have a new certification there. Um, there's some really cool modules. Uh, we have some cool new modules coming out around the graph, but there's team stuff there. There's SharePoint stuff there. There's Office add-in stuff there. And so if you are already doing this stuff from a career perspective, it is really handy to be able to say that you've got a true certification on this type of thing. Um, your work will probably sponsor and do that. Or they'll promote the fact that you are certified when they do tenders and so forth. It certainly helped me in my career when back in the day we did all the MCTS certifications. These are definitely more challenging than the MCTSs in my opinion. Um, I was part of the committee for this and we really wanted to raise the bar. Um, we are looking for people to take them um, to give feedback whilst it's in preview. So I really just a, an ask, just go check out the modules, give your feedback um, take the certification and let us know what you, you think of those. And it's all in that blog post, which explains um, what you can do there. So I thank you in advance if you do take the time to take those modules and do the certification. Yes. Uh, although I'm not going to do it. I, I never was good at memorizing stuff. So fortunately, my boss doesn't make me, so I'm okay. <laughs> I will take you off my Christmas card list, Paul. It's fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> Then moving on to the community, uh, I, the first thing I found in the community was a blog post from last week's guest, uh, Alex. He has step-by-step on how to get information from a private channel. So the scenario here is that you have an SPFX web part as a Teams tab, and in its context, it's running in, and things with private channels as they're rolling out might be different. So he's got some steps to go through how to work out what you might want to do to get information about that in there. So uh, he's actually calling the, the SharePoint API in some cases to help you work around the peculiarities of what we're seeing here. So the, I'm going to put this in the bucket of there's so many things changing through the graph and, and in the service. You probably should be aware of all of it. So nice little uh, blog post from Alex and uh, to help you get moving. Yeah, I, I actually listened to the interview you did with Alex, um, which was last week's show uh, on on the commute home last night. And uh, there was some super interesting stuff in there. So if you haven't listened to that show, definitely go back to last week's and check that out. Because um, there's some really good insights into the React aspects that, like you, Paul, I am fairly green on. Um, <laughs> but definitely need to carve out some time to not be green in React, for sure. And then someone that is new to me, uh, that I kind of have been wondering on Twitter, but not kind of discovered the content for whatever reason is, uh, Jan Vidar Elvin, who's an MVP, um, in enterprise mobility and a PTSP in cloud and data center management. I'm not quite sure what a PTSP is. Is that like a new version of virtual TSP? I think so. Yeah, which has been the VTSP. I used to be one in 2008 or wherever it was. He wrote a blog post specifically around that he loves Graph Explorer, which is awesome. And our team in Nairobi will be very happy to hear that. But more specifically that, yes, there are scenarios where Graph Explorer currently doesn't work. One of those scenarios is um, B2B guest accounts. 
And so uh, what he shows in the, it's really good. He's got step-by-steps of basically taking the work that Brian Jacket had done from the 30 Days of Graph series blog that if you haven't checked out, I'd encourage you to go check out. And has specifically showed you how to go register an application, configure it for Postman, and then actually go and get an auth token that um, will essentially give you a user token based on being a B2B guest in a particular tenant. Um, and the reason he's showing that is is that it uses the OAuth to flow within Postman um, in the authorization tab of a request inside of Postman that will essentially pop up the um, login.microsoft.com dialog that allows you to go through not just username and password, but you know, multi-factor auth and return a token and then you can use the call the graph. Uh, we are actually talking to the Postman team um, because we don't do that in the Postman collections that I created uh, over a year ago now, primarily because when you export a collection, those settings that you configure in the OAuth 2 authorization section don't come through and um, they're not stored in the environment config. They're kind of, you have to manually go into the UI and set them up. And so um, I've given that feedback to Postman of we need that to be more portable and the ability to kind of share those configuration information or make it easier that if I import a collection and click run, it immediately goes, you need to provide these information and here's your tenant ID and here's your, you know, uh, client ID and here's your secret and so forth um, without having to kind of go discover exactly where that's configured. So that was one thing that is super useful if you're doing anything with multi-factor auth. Um, this is definitely the best way to, to set that up. So thank you to um, Jan for spending the time in clearly using Snagit to take awesome screenshots with the little beveled edges and the, the drop shadows too. So that's a cool, cool post if you um, want to do anything with B2B guests against the API and also app only too is the other reason you would use Postman. Yeah, so I always uh, would would look for Chris Johnson's post about setting up OAuth, uh, the OAuth config just because I knew he wrote about it, but the, this blog post is is much more in-depth and I agree with the great pictures. And I would just say as you're doing things as a guest and different tenant, make sure you've got your tenant ID squared because the things, uh, um, mm-hmm. yeah, but uh, so... Uh, yeah, it's it's a complex topic, and you know, you get me started, it'll be another six hours of talk. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, just cut you off right there. <laughs> but yeah, so mind mind your token, uh, your tenant IDs. Yes, I I don't have a link in our little shared notebook here, but I think I saw you posting a, a tweet or something about contributing updates to the Postman collection. Yes, is that the, did I see that correctly? Yeah, and it's partly a little bit internal, partly a little bit. Um, people in the community have said, yeah, we love it, and we've got a bunch of extra ones, and we don't know what to do, and. So there's instructions on there on how you can kind of submit PRs to that repo so that we can merge those in. Um, Our internal search connectors team, uh, the way they demoed the search connectors is Ignite because a lot of the calls are app-only calls. They were using Postman. They couldn't use Graph Explorer. And also just in the nature of what you're demonstrating with like indexing new um, user-defined types, UDTs, or indexing files, it's a lot of calls. So what they did with Postman, which was really cool, was had an Excel file with a set of rows of the different uh, data they wanted to index. And then in um, in Postman, you can basically point to that CSV and it will just iterate over those rows, calling the same request 
um, API and submit those to the index. It's a really cool way of demoing indexing a lot of content in one go. And so if you haven't watched those sessions from Ignite around, uh, you know, connecting and indexing content from your own sources, I'd highly encourage you to check out the graph connector sections that were on um, on the on-demand bit. The easiest way I found to do that is type in Microsoft Ignite in Google, Bing, and at the top in the top nav, you can click on um, s- sessions and then there's a sub option of on-demand and that gets you to the list of all of the um, different on-demand sessions, including mine and Nina's and Daryl's and Jeffrey Snover's and all the other cool graph stuff and all the you know broader M365 things that um, Vesa and the crew and the team's crew did as well, like Bill Bliss. So definitely go check out those things. I've been downloading them on demand and consuming them uh, when I have spare time. Haha. So many three through so far. Yeah. I can't wait for those connectors to come out there. So uh, looking forward to kicking the tires on that. So the, the last community link we have is a podcast list by Philip Worrell. Philip is a, a, IT pro currently into all things Office and Microsoft 365. Um, thanks, Philip, for putting such a concise uh, snippet about you in the blog post so we don't have to hunt and figure out what you are. But um, Philip is also one of the hosts, I guess you could say, of uh, Regarding 365, which is a video blog or video w- webinar. Um, but Philip has posted a list of Office 365 or Microsoft 365 related podcasts. Um, obviously you're listening to the, you know, our favorite. So, but if you do find yourself with extra downtime and you want to, to cast the net a little bit wider, yeah, there's a, a quite a comprehensive list in here, uh, with, uh, well, the usual suspects plus some that are new to me. So I've certainly, uh, bookmarked a few of those and hope to get some time to listen to some of them. Yeah. And I did notice that, um, a good, good friend of mine that was probably one of the first people I met in the community uh, in the SharePoint community in 2009 and probably one of the best dressed uh, community members is Tobias Zimmergren, always wearing his suits and his slacks. And um, he, the, him and uh, Yussi Ruin, who I think we may have had on the show, I cannot remember if we have or not, has started Control Alt Azure podcast. Um, and I've listened to one already. He, they've already kind of put it everywhere you'd expect a podcast to be. And so if you haven't checked out that show, I'd highly encourage you to do that because um, they're extremely knowledgeable. They work on some really cool stuff. And um, that's a great insight of, um, you know, pushing the boundaries of Azure. So I'd encourage you to check that out. And then my other favorite definitely is the Microsoft Cloud Show, primarily because they're just really good mates. And it feels like we're hanging out when every time I listen to a show, it's uh, their content's always really good and they get really good guests on there too. Yeah. So there you go. Lots to fill up your, uh, since, you know, you're taking your holiday coming up and you won't be working. So you have plenty of time to catch up on podcasts. So there you go. <laughs> and if you have a lot of free time, you can listen to the links. The last thing we'll put in our in our show notes is a massive link list of links from our guest this week, uh, Gary Pretty. Gary and I chatted a couple of weeks back, shortly after Ignite, going deep into uh, Bot SDK and AI and the Bot Composer and. And uh, Gary's a quite a passionate guy in this area, so he had a lot to say, gave us a ton of great information. And as usual, Paul was stupid and asked questions, and he answered them. So thank you for doing that. Uh, I appreciate that, Gary. And uh, so nice uh, follow-on to some of our previous episodes. So good stuff. Awesome. Well, look, have a good week. I'm going to 
enjoy my Prague trip and we'll get some shows out in the next few weeks from all the guests that we're going to see at the various events we're going to be at. So. Yeah, yeah. So you'll be in Prague and then uh, the SASP Fest is coming to Chicago. So I'm going to head on down and yeah. chill out and uh, see what I'm excited to uh, finally corner Chris O'Brien. Yeah. Um, yes, I saw that. Yeah. I'm excited to get him on the show to talk about everything he's been working on because uh, he's always got great insight into this stuff. Yeah, him and I were going to connect in V-Spot, and that was back in June, and we both got busy. So uh, I hope you catch him. <laughs> <laughs> so have a good trip, and we'll chat next time. Cheers, buddy. So on the podcast this week is Gary Pretty. Welcome, Gary. Hi there. How are you doing? I am doing well. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners, please? Sure. So uh, my name is Gary Pretty. I'm a, a software development engineer on the Bot Framework SDK team at Microsoft. Uh, been with the team now for around about two months, uh, and I was formerly an AI MVP. This is a heck of a time to join the team, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, talk about a baptism of fire. I uh, I joined in the run up to the Microsoft Ignite conference, which I came back from. Uh, last week and uh, that was I mean, that event was just awesome. Uh, but let me tell you, I mean, you, you really get an insight into how things work when you join the team at a time like that. Um, I, I was I was joking with one of my colleagues um, that uh, you know, when I was an MVP and I was talking to the team, I'd be saying, hey, why can't we just implement this change? It's like a three-line change. Why can't <laughs> we just get this? Why can't we just get this in, uh, in uh, you know, now? Because I need it. Um, and then you, you get inside, you get just a, a different uh, perspective on on why these things can take a little bit longer, and um, most of those reasons are, are good reasons, right? So <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, yeah, it's easy until you break something, then it's not so easy. So we we all understand yeah. that, yeah. Um, and so just to set a little context here, right? So uh, a couple weeks back, we had Darren Jefford on the show, who is on a sister team, I guess I would say is one way to phrase it, right? And so uh, Darren talked about the virtual assistant and Darren and Jeremy went back and forth about how they used that in the build demo six months ago. So this episode, rather than regurgitate that, we want to talk a little bit more in-depth, uh, developer-y, techie stuff about what what powers a virtual assistant and what powers the bot framework, right? So let's start there by saying, okay, you joined just before Ignite and there was a lot of announcements at Ignite. Can, first of all, can you just give us a, a highlight of some of the things that uh, excite you about what was released? Yeah, sure. So you're absolutely right. Darren sits on a, a sister team to me. So I sit on the SDK team itself uh, and the SDK team is what underpins uh, things like the virtual assistant or the new composer uh, that we announced at Ignite, which we can talk about in a little bit more detail as well. Um, I guess the first thing to say is um, the great thing about Ignite and Build is we get to talk about the momentum uh, and it's always growing with this product. So um, uh, at Ignite this time, we spoke about the fact that there's now 1.3 billion messages per month running through the Azure Bot service, which is just mind-blowing uh, considering where it started from. And I've been following this product since right from the beginning. So uh, to see it hit that is incredible. We've had over 4 million SDK downloads and 40,000 active bots a month and and growing. So I think that's just uh you know a testament to really how um how this space is 
is really rapidly increasing, um, you know, across every industry. Uh, and that was certainly reflected in the conversations that I had with folks at Ignite this week. You know, last year, the year before, I've helped out on, on the booth as an MVP. And all of the conversations would be, uh, or most of them would be, so what's a bot or what's the bot framework or what's Azure bot service? Whereas this year, they were a very small uh, percentage of the conversations and people were coming over and saying, hey, I've got this bot and it's rolled out across the entire organization and there's you know 10,000 people using it and it's been rolled out on all of these channels and I've got this particular problem. Can you help me? Uh, and I just love that, right? So uh, that's that's been awesome. In terms of specific announcements, um, we, um, we've introduced some uh, key updates for building bots in Teams. I guess that's probably one of the biggest announcements of the last week. And you've always been able to use um, Teams as a channel for, um, for bot framework since Teams was, you know, was incepted. Um, and you've been able to build a great one-to-one -one chat experience, um, just like we can do in, say, Skype or in web chat, um, etc. But what happens if we really want to light up Teams? Because most of the activity in Teams is not one-on-one -on -one conversations. It's maybe people interacting with each other in a channel. Maybe it's proactive conversations, maybe notifications to a user. So we really wanted to make sure that all of these scenarios were lit up in an, in the easiest way possible for the developer. So we've actually added SDK extensions for all of these things. And it actually now enables team-specific messages and events to be sent. Um, and really, the developer doesn't really need to do much. They can just take advantage of first-party SDK bits to do that. And we've released a, a whole raft of samples with more probably on the way, um, each one focusing on a different scenario um, to make uh, building those bots for teams as straightforward as possible. So you can really focus on building out a good conversation. Back in the day, and of course that being last month, I needed to have a bot framework SDK. And on top of that, there were teams extensions for bot framework. And I'm guessing right. this announcement means I don't need to download two things going forward. It's just one. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because we worked really closely with the Teams folks themselves to make sure that all of these bits were baked into the SDK so that now you don't need to download the SDK and then install an additional package we wanted to streamline that experience and the team, the folks who worked on this have done an amazing job. Um, and it was so great to, uh, to come into the team and see, uh, the bot framework team and the teams teams working together so closely. Um, so you really are getting something that's been, uh, blessed by both teams, uh, which is, which is good to see. Okay. And then I haven't dug into the new, well, so this is bot framework for SDK is 4.6. 4.6. Okay. Yeah, so I, right. I haven't looked close yet. And I, I do know there was a little bit of back and forth between Teams and SDK in the context that um, one of them, which I think was a bot framework, had like a, a controller, a web API controller that then called the bot object. And the other one had uh, used the startup to wire up the bot handler directly, kind of. A, a, so there were no controllers on my project. So I'm guessing that has now been normalized between the two product groups. Yes. 
Yeah, it has. Absolutely. And what we've actually introduced, though, for people who are building Teams-specific bots is a Teams activity handler. So all of those um, events that you are going to receive from Teams when you're building a bot, rather than you needing to do loads of, like jumping through lots of hoops to actually try and figure out what are those events and, you know, am I being mentioned in the context of a channel or, you know, what is actually happening? We've normalized all of that um, and made it very, very similar to building a bot, but you still have access to those really team-specific events. So you're absolutely right. So the whole big switch statement about what's going on, I can, uh, <laughs> I can uh, move that, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. exactly. Um, yeah. Okay, that's great. So, so the, yes, that's great to see, but obviously there's more to bot framework 4.6 than just the team stuff. So what else, right. did, what other highlights can you show for this? Yeah, so, I mean, there's so much, but another one that jumps to mind is related to what Darren will have been speaking about a couple of weeks ago, which is skills. So skills has been a concept now in the virtual assistant for some time. You know, as bots get more complicated, uh, they get larger. Maybe we want to democratize the ability to build these bots across an organization. Um, you need this uh, almost a bot component model, right? Um, and so... Skills have been working really well in the virtual assistant uh, world, uh, but we've now, again, baked them into the SDK itself. Um, and what we're striving for is the ability for any bot to be a skill. So any bot can become a skill, um, but it can also sit as its own standalone bot. Um, but what it does is it really makes it straightforward for you to say, right, I'm going to have this one front door, uh, this one parent bot, and then I'm going to call out to other bots, uh, which may have been built by different teams. They may be managed by different people. They may even have been built using different uh, tools. So um, one thing that was uh, announced last week uh, was our Composer tool, which I'll come on to in a second, but also Power Virtual Agents. And the idea of skills means that I can build a bot, for example, using uh, the SDK, but then I can call out to that bot from a power virtual agent, which is essentially bots within the power platform, which again is underpinned by the bot framework SDK. Um, and um, it it just really makes things super um, uh, powerful, you know, because if you think about this, you might have a single bot for a large organization. Okay, let's say Microsoft have a single bot and we might have uh, a, a HR skill where I can go and I can ask questions around uh, the holiday policy or the sickness policy, or maybe I can do transactional things like uh, booking annual leave, or I might have a ticket management system. Maybe it's integrated with something like ServiceNow. Um, they may be developed by two completely separate teams, but we should not confuse users by saying, hey, here's the bot that you go and talk to for HR, and here's the bot over here that you go and talk to for your IT service management. We just have a single bot that's a front door, and it calls out to those skills, and it will do that seamlessly for you using uh, our sort of Lewis and dispatch services, language understanding, etc. So I think skills is going to be something that's going to be really exciting and certainly unlocks some key scenarios uh, for building those larger, more complex bots. Yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting development, right? So we have a bot at Add in 365 and we get requests often about this, the same concept, multiple bots, right? And, and on the one hand, the Uber bot that does everything is appealing. And on the other hand, if I'm using Teams and I create a team for the HR department, why do I want a bot in here that's not HR specific, right? So I, I think organizations are going to have to 
to balance that. But it's great to see that the framework is going to at least l- help us go either way, right? Um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And w- with skills, you can absolutely do that. You can um, register your HR bot um, on its own, standalone, and talk to it. Um, but you can also plug it in as a skill into you know an Uber bot, if you like. Yeah, so I, I'm looking forward to, to kicking the tires on that as well. Okay, now you mentioned Composer, and I, and I actually downloaded Composer and ran it, but it uh, it's a little bit different. So why don't we uh, talk a little bit about what Composer... <laughs> First of all, why Composer? For as long as I can remember um, since I've been working in this space, the one thing I've heard from lots and lots of people is, is there a visual designer, right? So we look at other uh, competitive platforms, things like Dialogflow over at uh, over at Google, um, and they've got visual designers. So it's been a common ask for a long time. Um, but we wanted to make sure that we really got, got it right because the worst thing that you can end up with is a visual designer that is isolated where you have to make a choice at the very beginning. Do I build this with the visual designer or do I build this with code? Which is where a lot of competitive <laughs> platforms can actually lead you. Okay? We're looking at you, um, SharePoint workflows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I used to be in the SharePoint world. I'm not anymore. Um so um, if you think about Composer as being, uh, it's a new open source um, IDE for bots, which uh, we put into public preview last week. It's been super well received. But the great thing about it for me is the fact that it's built on top of and integrated deeply with the V4 Bot Builder SDK. So you're using all of the same paradigms that you would use to build a bot, things like dialogues, prompts, um, and all of those same concepts, like uh, calling out to Lewis for language understanding, but it's put together in this awesome IDE that actually can make building um, even you know very complex bots much easier sometimes than cranking out the code yourself. But the great thing is because of things that we've already talked about, like skills, um, you're not going to hit that cliff. You're not going to hit that barrier that, oh, well, I've, I've hit the limits of Composer. So what do I do now? Or I've already got an existing investment in V4. So how can I leverage Composer? And these are all common things that you hear, um, from other platforms or, you know, historically when people introduce an IDE over the top of an existing SDK. And we're really hoping that we've got that story, right? The team, we've got a super talented set of people behind this. Um, I was at uh, Ignite with uh, one of my colleagues, Ben Brown, uh, from uh, from BotKit, uh, who's also on the team with me. And um, yeah, I mean, the, he must have muscle memory now for the demo that he was doing because it was so uh, hot on the... I've, I've never seen so much activity um, around the, the bot stand before. Um, it was, yeah, really well received. And I, I'm really excited to see what happens with Composer as it moves towards uh, GA. And so was that demo one of an Ignite session? Yeah, so um, Ben uh, held a, um, a workshop for some Ignite attendees, really, really well attended, um, where they actually built out a composer bot over I think it was about an hour and 20 minutes something like that um, if you're interested and I'm sure we can put a link into the show notes Ben did a 30 minute walkthrough um, which was almost a walkthrough of the same workshop uh, which he's posted out in video format uh, over the last couple of days so definitely worth checking that out and I would really encourage people to just head to head over to GitHub you can clone the repo 
Um, I mean, it's fantastic, really, if you think about it. You've got this designer that you can um, white label, you can uh, you know edit it for whatever needs that you have, um, uh, and we're only just a public preview. Um, and it takes three lines of PowerShell to actually get this thing uh, installed and up and running. And um, there's a ton of samples in there as well, so you can see how things hang together and how things work. And I'm I'm really excited to see how we might take uh, composer and then plug in, you know, other uh, aspects of our um, field. So things like um, adapters. So um, the within the community, which is a, a subject close to my heart, uh, having come from there, we've got things like uh, Twitter adapters, Alexa, and Google adapters. So the idea that I can take Composer and really, really quickly build um, a bot that will then be exposed via Alexa, Twitter, and Google is incredible. Yes, yeah, the, the capability is, is really good there. So now a couple of things I want to point out based on what I've I've downloaded. Right? So you said IDE a few times, but we're really talking a browser page, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. a web application. Yeah, and um, and I did. Uh, Based on Node, right? So if I remember, I was I was installing some kind of Node packages and running. So it wasn't too terribly. E- e- even I could get it running in Node, which means it's not too complicated <laughs> for those who know me. So yeah. uh, that's good. Now the the um, what does this ge- composer actually generate code that I can do, or is it deployed to the service, or both, or, or what's it look like? What's the goal? I should say, right? I know it's in preview. So what's the goal for for the output of this thing? Okay, so essentially, composer will will build you a bot. The output of Composer will be a V4 bot. Um, actually, if you go and look on disk um, within the Composer directory, there is a, a bots folder where you, by default, your projects get saved. Um, and as you're building out your bot in Composer, it's updating a, a real V4 bot that you can simply take and deploy to you know an Azure app service uh, and run it. Um, but rather than having those uh, the dialogues within uh, the bot being built with code using the SDK as we may have traditionally done, it's actually building out those dialogues in uh, JSON format. So um, serializing out those dialogues into JSON. Um, and uh, this is what though allows the interoperability because those JSON dialogues are being called from a you know a v4 a v4 bot. So you know in theory we could then potentially take some of those bits and integrate them with a, with an existing v4 bot and the the possibilities are are pretty endless. Um, but I think the the reason I really like this approach is, a, it's all of the same concepts that I'm really, really familiar with, but then it also allows me to do things like source control. So I can say at any point, I'm going to take that bot and I'm going to store it in source control. I'm going to tag it with a version number. Um, and I know all of those dialogues are at that particular stage. So yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. And so I want to drill in a little bit on the dialogues because I know that's another bullet item on the new features in in 4.6 is what's called adaptive dialogues, right? So is that this JSON string is backing that? So yeah, adaptive dialogues is um, a new preview version of our dialogue stack, if you like. Um, So up to now, we've had waterfall dialogues. So this idea of I need to go through a series of steps, maybe gather a series of um, you know pieces of information from a uh, a user. So let's say we had a calendar waterfall dialogue. I'd say uh, I might prompt the user and say, where would you like the meeting to take place? I might then say, who would you like to attend the meeting? And maybe. I'd loop around some of those bits. But at the end of that dialogue, I say, is this correct? And I give them the information and I say yes or no. 
If I then say as a user, um, actually, I forgot to add Simon, the bot's going to say, uh, no, are these <laughs> the details say, correct? correct? Yes, yes or, or no, no right? <laughs> um, we've always been able to do some, and I've seen some really clever things and, and ways of using waterfall dialogues to enable it to feel more natural. The whole point of adaptive dialogues is that we introduce this idea of um, we really uh, sort of make more widespread the idea of triggers and events and interruptions. So now we can natively build a conversation where we may ask the uh, the user, um, is this correct? Yes or no? Would you like me to book the meeting? But if they say, actually, I forgot to add Simon, we're actually calling Lewis on each turn and we can then go back up the stack and traverse up other prompts and other dialogues and see if any of the other prompts or dialogues uh, consult with them and see if they want to effectively interrupt the conversation. And what would happen in that case is we'd traverse back up the stack and the add attendee prompt um, would pick up my phrase, would actually then grab the entity because I've said add Simon. So it doesn't need to ask me any more information. And the next thing that I see as a user is, okay, I've added Simon. Is this now correct? Yes or no? And it just means that you can switch context much, context much more easily, um, making for much more natural conversations. On a, a similar point, we've alongside adaptive dialogues, we've got something called LG language generation. Um, and this is really the evolution of, you know, from hard coded strings to resource files to now this almost markdown like syntax for how we can describe the language that our bot should use when it is uh, speaking back to a user. So you can almost imagine when the bot says, are these details correct, yes or no, for a, a meeting confirmation? If it says that every single time, it can sound pretty stale. Um, and in reality, in a conversation with a human, they're not going to say it the same way every time. So LG actually allows us to um, democratize the writing of that content to maybe someone who's not a developer, which arguably is is a good thing. <laughs> um, you know, we can put it in the hands of a, of a uh, you know, a, a business user or somebody who's really skilled at writing this copy to make it really engaging, but they can provide multiple versions of the same copy for a particular scenario. So maybe we have a string which is called, you know, meeting confirmation. They can provide three or four different um, versions of that. And then at runtime, this LG markdown file gets interpreted by the bot um, and the bot will pick a random version of that. So if you move through the same uh, flow uh, multiple times, it just feels more natural because it doesn't feel like it's static anymore, which so many of these experiences have been. And when we look at LG with adaptive, we're also able to actually um, uh, compose our um, LG uh, phrases, our LG strings with bot state um, and even write expressions within LG. So for example, within LG, there's actually a syntax that allows me to do conditional statements to say things like, if it's before midday, then I would like to use one of these strings. If it's after midday, I'd like to use one of these things. So we can actually have the bot be context aware of time. Um, the bot could say, uh, maybe do something really complicated. So uh, if this person is uh, part of a particular uh, part of my organization, because it can look in bot state at the user state and things we know about that user already, then maybe I'll greet them in a different way uh, than I would have done somebody who's in a different part of the organization. So 
I think LG is going to be super powerful as well. Again, it's just about democratizing these capabilities. Um, and ultimately, it's always turning that wheel and turning that crank to make building sophisticated conversation as easy as possible. I like that. And you, when you say different languages, we're, we're not talking French or Spanish or German or English. It's it's you know, the, the phrases, which which is a, a, a very interesting take on that, right? I, I, me being a developer, I don't see the need, but I'm sure the regular people who in the world would appreciate <laughs> that, right? But yeah. now this, uh, what, what I'm hearing, if, if I'm, I'm making assumptions here, right? So your Lewis models become even much more critical than they have in the past, it seems to me, right? So it seems that it's not just writing the code to do bot things. It's also understanding how this service works, right? Lewis definitely gets much more involved uh, compared to where it was, certainly with Adaptive, because rather than needing to write, uh, you know, a Lewis, um, a set of Lewis intents for your very, very top level. So the first thing that I say to the bot, so, you know, maybe the bot understands that I want to book a meeting and then we go through a series of very static steps. We now need to have uh, Lewis models arguably for most of the prompts within our bot. But this is where things like Composer come in because you can actually edit your Lewis model right within Composer, right next to the dialogues that you're actually building and the prompts that you're building. And then Compose will actually allow you to uh, train and publish your Lewis model from within that environment. So um, you're no longer having to switch between Lewis and the bot, and then maybe your context is getting you know broken. So again, Composer makes things like that easier as well. But you're absolutely right. Lewis does get more involved. Yeah. And so the bot development team needs to get some more folks involved who uh, are in the business or just uh, good communicators, right? Which is a, a kind of a new skill, right? Asking developers to talk to humans can be a struggle. So, so getting that involved is great. <laughs> yeah, I saw that before I joined Microsoft. I worked for 10 years at a Microsoft partner in the UK. And for the last three years, we've been building out bots for um, for customers and you know large enterprise customers. And the one thing we realized really, really quickly is this is not just a case of we have a developer, a traditional developer build this thing out. Um, yes, we need that developer to build out the actual conversation, but you also need you know other disciplines. You need somebody who understands conversation design to make sure that that user experience is optimal. You know, we think about how much how much time and effort gets spent these days on making sure that the UX of a, a website is you know absolutely perfect or a mobile application and it's optimized to the nth degree that's where we're going to get to very very quickly with conversational ai so you're absolutely right we do need specialists in those areas i think right now you know in most teams you'll have people who wear multiple hats but we are seeing more and more um you know people with specific roles that fall into this sort of an area yeah, and and in my experience, the 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 tools are all there. For example, Lewis can be updated using a website, so I don't have to install Visual Studio or or VS Code on a conversation designer person or a business person, right? We can point them at a website and say, "Here you go, type in your phrases or whatever," right? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The other bit you mentioned, and I, I don't take up too much of your time, but you mentioned the community was near and dear to you, and I know there was, in fact, uh, for the little behind the curtains, when I first reached out to Gary to be on the podcast, it was in the context of the the community project that exists for the bot, but since then he's changed roles. So what, what is that community project and, and what are your plans or what are your vision for the bot community going forward? 
Right, yeah, I mean, it's still uh, very much uh, something that I'm very deeply involved with. So, as you said, when we first spoke, uh, you know, I guess a few months ago now, um, we had launched what we call the Bot Builder Community Project on GitHub. I think it's we're now just over a year old. Um, and really, it's a place where developers who are uh, focused on bot framework or who are using bot framework on a daily basis can come together and can build uh, components that extend the SDK. So maybe there are, you know, some maybe more niche components which don't warrant being put into the SDK itself. Um, we can still build them, put them in the community and make them available for other people. I was really inspired by um, things like the UWP toolkit and the huge community they have around that uh, and the SharePoint community as well. I mean, there's a huge like SharePoint PMP community, um, which, you know, I've, I've had some involvement with in the past. Um, and I, I just wanted to start something like that for, for bots. So I got together with a few uh, fellow MVPs of mine um, and we now have a thriving community in GitHub. We have repositories for all of the SDK languages. So that's C Sharp and uh, Node but also Python and Java, which right now are in preview um, and are rapidly um, catching up with C-Sharp and uh, Node in terms of their um, sort of coverage, uh, even though they aren't GA yet. Uh, and we're getting community contributions for all four. Um, I started out by building, um, you know, taking a few extensions I'd already built on, on my in my personal repo, moving them over. But then rapidly people just start helping, people just start coming up with new ideas. It's fascinating to see. Um, I built a Google and Alexa um, adapters so that you can um, uh, you, you can uh, build bots that will um, uh, talk to uh, those devices. So whether it's an Echo device or it's a, a Google Assistant device, for example, um, you can now build a single bot and expose it via those channels, but also native Azure bot service channels like web chat and Teams. Um, so it's been super exciting to see how that community has grown, uh, the number of downloads that we're getting now for some of those components. I'd really encourage people to just come along and use the components. You know, we'd love feedback. We'd love feature requests. We do accept feature requests and we'll, we'll try and build those things out as and when we can. And the great thing about me joining Microsoft is the team have been really clear that they would like to keep that community thriving. So, uh, you know, part of my role is to actually maintain that community and also help to uh, uh, reach out to our MVPs as well, which is super exciting for me to jump over the fence, but still be able to talk to all of my uh, good friends. Yeah. And, and so the in the MVP channels, uh, we've seen the call for feedback, but it's not limited to just MVPs, right? So do you have feedback channels set up? Yeah, Certainly so, not. So obviously, is this is this community repo uh, the good place or do you have other feedback channels that would get more exposure maybe? I mean, so uh, there's definitely a couple of us on the team who are very active on Twitter. So I'm at Gary Pretty on Twitter and uh, we've got colleagues like Ben Brown um, who, who's on there as well. He's at Ben Brown. Um, so all of your composer questions, I'll send all the hard <laughs> ones to Ben. Um, <laughs> um, what I would say though is um, one thing about this team is we are, you know, everything's open source. 
we live in GitHub and that's ideally where you can come and talk to us. Um, you can come and raise your feature requests there. If you find any bugs, we hope you don't, but if you do, please come and raise them. We really appreciate it. Um, we have support engineers who are constantly monitoring Stack Overflow who will, they take feature requests all the time and they get fed straight into our team. Um, so there's a number of ways that you can engage with us. Um, uh, the important thing is, is less about how you engage with us is more about please just reach out we're always happy to hear from people um i know the the best thing about for me about working in this role is actually speaking to people who use the who use the sdk who use the platform and, and seeing the difference it can make to people that sounds great and i and i will second that that comment about the github community you know over the the last couple of years of building a production bot I, I countless times i've been into the into the source code of the sdk say what is it they're doing again and why and and trying to work it out so it's it's great to have that available i really appreciate that and so uh, i know you you gave us our, your twitter handle already that's great and and um we'll certainly get a bunch of these things i've been taking notes as you've talked about the links we'd love to get into the show notes so we'll make sure those are all set up up. Really appreciate you taking the time today. This is, I know you're you're about to f- come over back over to the United States for vacation at the same time <laughs> I fly to, to Europe, but, but um, yep. I appreciate you doing that. Is there any other uh, things that I, you wanted to mention that I forgot to ask about or, or uh, tips that I said? We, we covered a, an incredible amount. I'm really pleased with how much we, uh, we managed to get through, but I will share a ton of links um, and they're all going to be worth checking out. Um, and uh, yeah, please just get in touch with if you've got any feedback. And actually, you know what? If you are using the new Composer tool or the SDK and you hit any problems, reach out to me too. I love nothing more than helping people. My first, my first question was, uh, where, where's the step by step? What am I trying to build here? So I, but I, I, then I saw, oh, it's preview. Of course, documentation comes later. So <laughs> that, that's the first. That's great. But and and I, I'm going to put a note in my diary to say reach out again, maybe before or after build or when the next rev is coming out because uh, the this space is moving so rapidly and there's a lot of value. I'd love to get you back on and and geek out much more. I love this level here. Yeah, well, well, I'm I'm sure we'll have a ton more to announce at build. So uh, I think right after build or even at build would be uh, awesome. All right. Thanks a lot and have a great vacation. That's great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks.